America is the greatest country the world has ever known. We are a nation of immigrants, pioneers, and patriots. Together, we create the bold, beautiful fabric that is America. We are the city upon the hill, a beacon to the world. America is the land of freedom and unlimited opportunity. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. We the people have stories to share, stories to uplift and inspire. You will feel proud, humbled, and blessed to call yourself an American. Eric McCants is a police officer who has gained a large loyal following on LinkedIn with his positive messages, quotes, and memes. Eric and I talked about his career as a public servant, the challenges involved, Eric answered the question we've all wondered, do cops really love donuts? And finally, what America means to him. Eric's American Story. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Eric McCants. And let me tell you, of all the guests that I have had on the podcast so far, my husband was the most excited for me to talk to Eric, and I really appreciate him taking the time to do so. Eric, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing this evening? I am good. Listen, one of the things that my husband suggested that I do, and I'm going to start it with you just to loosen us up a little bit, mm-hmm. is we're just going to do a little this or that, just to kind of loosen us both up. Does that sound good? Yes, ma'am. Sounds good to me. All right, here we go. Hamburger or pizza? Hamburger. Ice cream, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Oh, yes, you're my man. Okay, that was the right answer. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Me too. Exercise or take a nap? (laughs) Does that depend on the day? Yeah, I got to say exercise. Okay. Die Hard, Christmas movie or no? No, I don't think I've ever seen it. You've never seen Die Hard? I don't believe I have. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Hawaii or France? France. Beach or mountains? Beach. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Okay, and this next one is going to have special meaning as we get in. Proactive or reactive? Proactive. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) and that will mean something a little bit later on in the episode. Eric, let's get started here. Can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like growing up and what eventually led you to be interested in becoming a police officer? Grew up like in a family environment, have an older brother, older sister. I'm the youngest. My mother and my aunts raised me around my grandparents. We've always been a family first. For me, my mother had us in different type of events. Like she started me off early in third grade with the violin. Like I played uh, instruments. She made sure we did music, but she said it just helps out with different skills. Additionally, she had us doing different arts and craft things. Like I know how to cross stitch. She used to give us like birds or different flowers. When we got in trouble, she'll sit us in the corner and she'll make us cross stitch. So I know how to cross stitch. And yeah, she's like, say, she's buy like different birds from different places and she'll just put us in the corner, give us our needle and thread and we'll just go away. I mean, it helped keep us occupied for hours trying to get it correct. She has big on reading and all that different stuff. So 
as a young child, that's what I want to do. Then I say, once I got a little bit older, I grew into uh, playing sports, played uh, football and wrestling, and I ran track and I did uh, soccer in high school. Enjoyed that. And then um, next time I went off to college, I was 17. So it was a little experience for me. At that time, I was young, still naive. So I went to college. And when I was in college, the first thing they gave us was like uh, a refund check. So, you know, I, I ain't never had that much money to myself at that time. I should have brought, looking back at it, a car or a vehicle for myself. But back then, I was spending on food, buying clothes and all that stuff. Eventually, I got taken out of school because uh, academics, like I just wanted to do my schoolwork. So I was working at the local grocery store. And then eventually, they have special duty officers there. And he was working. He was talking to another officer at the time about joining the police academy. And then one time, he looked up to me like, hey, man, have you ever thought about it? I'm like, no, nah, it's not my cup of tea. But my mother was on my back. She was like, hey, you need to do something. You need to find something. You need to get back to school. So talked to him again about joining the police academy. And then after that, the rest was history. What were your original plans? What did you want to do before then? Well, I went to school for business management, and I always also wanted to be like a math teacher. But I used to teach karate and dealing with little kids. My patients, I have patients, but they can really wear any patients if you're not really on it. And I taught karate, man. It just... That, that younger group from like three to 10, their attention span, you have to be able to catch it and keep it for a while and they'll lose it quickly. And, you know, me, I was brought up around martial arts and we was taught, you stay there until we tell you move. The little kids are not about to have it. <laughs> you tell them, be, still be quiet. One's going to do a spin. One's going to be doing cartwheel. They're going to take off running. It's just all that. So that's what I learned then. I didn't want to do, be a math teacher. Then I went to business management. And I never even got to my core classes. Like I said, I didn't even get that far in it because I explained so much, not going to class, just doing whatever I, you know, being a young kid in college. And then I eventually had to academically withdraw from it. And then after working at the local grocery store, that's when I ended up finding out about the police academy. Didn't really have any interest in it, but I was doing it just because my mother told me to do something. I'm like, okay, I can do this program real quick, get over it. But I went to the police academy, I fell in love with it. What did you fall in love with? At first, it was the drilling. Man, I was a drilling junkie. Foot chases, car chases, be able to chase after people, put them in handcuffs, the fights, all that stuff. I fell in love with that part. But eventually, I learned about learning how to talk to people, how to win people over with your words. At first, like I said, I was 20 when I first started in law enforcement. I was just a hard charger. I was like, hey, man, you're going to do what I tell you do or else. That's just how it was. But then eventually, over time, when my sheriff, he sent me off to school, talked to me. He said, man, you can get people to do almost anything you want them to do if you know how to talk to them. I mean, you're going to have a couple of knuckleheads that might be, you know, drunk or high on some medications or some type of narcotics, so they just don't want to do what you got to do. But for the most part, the 95% of people, they're going to listen to what you got to say, especially once you explain to them what's going on. When does karate come into play? Did you start karate before or after the police academy? I started before. I started right in, I'm going to say about my sophomore year of high school. My cousin and my uncle, they taught martial arts. They came up here from Alabama, and then they started teaching me, and they brought me along. I've been training ever since. Now, you have on here, I saw in your little biography here, what is, is it Gung Kai? Yes, man, it's Gung Kai. It's a mixed style of Gung Fu Wushu, Kung Fu, and Yoshikai Karate. We blended the styles together, and we created Gung Kai. How long does it take to become a fifth-degree black belt? Uh... Over time, I've been doing it for right at, uh, I'm going to say 13 years. Wow. I didn't get my first black belt till six, seven years into it. It takes a while. And with my uncle and my cousin, if you're not doing what you need to do, they'll take your belt away from you. Like if you're acting up in class or you're not doing what you need to do to progress or you're just not holding up that standard that they believe you need to be at, they'll take your belt real quick. So, I mean, you might be a black belt one day and then you might be a white belt the next day. That's just how it was. How has 
your training in karate helped you in your career? Well, it's taught me patience. One thing as being in law enforcement, you have to be patient with the people you're dealing with. You have to understand that while they might be upset and while they might be having a bad time, you got to understand that sometimes it's not their fault. They can be mad and want to fight you, but they just got into a car wreck and told their car they don't have any more transportation. Like, yeah, they're upset. Yeah, they're cussing. Yeah, you got to take control of the situation, but be able to talk to people, you empathize with what's going on, but you're not going to play any games with them. And just, I'd say, if you got to go hands-on, be able to go ahead, take people into custody and detain them quickly without having to sit there and use moves that might seem harmful. I always tell people to say, the quicker you can get a situation under control by taking them into custody, the less likely you have of a major incident happen. I always say every officer needs to take some type of martial arts. You don't have to take karate. You don't have to be like me, more of a grappling, uh, toe holds, locks, and all that stuff, pressure points. Most likely, the quicker you give them the handcuffs, the less likely the incident is to escalate and to keep going. Was there anything that you found yourself unprepared for when you became a police officer? Maybe something that surprised you or like I didn't, had no clue it was going to be like this? Deaths that you deal with as being in law enforcement. Uh, I mean, you have your murders, you have your vehicle accidents, then you have your suicides. I mean, after a while, you just become numb to seeing dead bodies. I mean, you've seen so many, but some of them, you know, they really stick with you. Like I say, you see a little kid that might have been in a vehicle accident or it might have been murder. Things like that will stick to you. But besides that, I say it's not too much more. I'm not going to say you get used to seeing the death, but you just know it's part of the job. You got to do what you got to do. And, you know, some officers can handle it and some officers can't. I mean, going to the crime scene, seeing blood everywhere. Why it might affect most officers can go in there and do what they need to do, get their paperwork. I mean, it's just because you come so used to it. But when you first start, it, it takes a while to get used to it. I've never seen a, a dead body before I became law enforcement. And then I like, go to people that's been staying in the house and they're kind of old and they might you know, have died like three or four weeks later. And then you come to the house through maggots everywhere. And then, you know, you get used to that. Like stuff like that, that's, that sticks with you. Like that smell of someone that's been decaying for three or four days in a hot house, all that stuff like that sticks with you. Is it common for many of you to get PTSD? One thing about PTSD in the law enforcement community, many of us don't talk about it. We don't really talk about mental wellness. It's starting to become a bigger issue now as we see a lot of officer suicides. But uh, I believe a lot of officers might have it, but they just don't speak up on it. Because a lot of time, you know, certain times if you say you, got, you know, you have mental problems, you start to get that stigma around you that, oh, you might not need to be in law enforcement. You need to have a gun and a badge. And I think it's better just to go ahead and seek treatment and basically, you know, let people know that, yeah, you're having a hard time with officers that have been involved in shootings and you might have to take some of my life. Like, that's going to stick with you. you. Might need somebody to talk to. Some officers, you know, they just shake it off. Like, it's no dead job. Some people, they can't recover from it. Mental wellness is not something that we as law enforcement talk about too much. It's becoming a bigger issue just because of the way the world is and mental health is becoming a forefront. But it's just something that hasn't been talked about in law enforcement for a while and it's starting to become a bigger issue for us. In the past, then, it's been if you say I'm having trouble, officers are worried that they're going to take my badge away. They're not going to think I'm stable enough for the job. Is that correct? And that's why they keep hush-hush about it? Yeah, and some of us just think that, oh, well, maybe he just needs some mental treatment and all that. He didn't even go through anything that traumatic for him to be like that. And then, uh, you know, officers might put a stigma on that officer, but hey, you didn't watch out for him, he might go crazy or stuff like that. And while it might happen, in some cases, in most incidents, that's just not it. They're just having a hard time coping with it. Because, I mean, as an officer, if you have kids and you see a little kid get shot or killed, that's going to have something to do with it because you're going to think about your kids or the kids you know in the neighborhoods 
or if you had to take somebody's life and you always think about it, well, maybe I should have done something different. Even if you are justified in your actions, you're going to think about, maybe I could have saved this man's life. Maybe they were just having a bad day and I took their life. And it's just certain things that's going to stick with you. Can you take us through your career as an officer? I started the police academy in 2011. My current sheriff was actually my uh, instructor in the police academy. During that time, he left and became the chief of the city of Waynesboro. Uh, once I graduated, he hired me on as my first job. He put me in a specialized division called housing. Basically, he told me just take control of the housing areas, do what you got to do. As a 20-year-old, I took literally playing against nobody, and that's what me and my partner did. But once we got control of it, being 20, I didn't know how to stop being the officer that I was. He was like, well, you don't have to be like that anymore. You can calm down. Me, I couldn't understand that. Like, you know, trying to chase everybody, trying to get in, in car chases, just going straight on. Everybody needs to go jail. And that's one thing as a young officer, you, learn, you think that everybody needs to go jail every crime they commit. But while the crime might be arrestable, sometimes they don't need to go to jail. Sometimes they just need a ticket. Sometimes you just gotta give them warning. Sometimes you just got to give a different remedy of them going to jail. Eventually, he had to let me go. Like I say, he uh, fired me. Not fired me. He let me resign in lieu of termination. I had too many write-ups. I was 20. Uh, I had a lot going on, like stroke for speed and report writing. Anything on the sun, I got in trouble for in that one year and a half. Uh, after that, one of the investigators that I worked with down there, uh, one of my good friends, Charles Prescott, and another guy, uh, Joe Nelson, they became chief of Payne College. So they called me up, like, hey, man, we got a job for you. You can come over there. So I worked on the college campus for two years. It was a different experience. Uh, they don't want college kids. At one time, you want to teach in real world things that's going on there for your actions. There's punishment for it, but then you don't want to mess up the rest of their life. So, I mean, that was just something you had to get used to. When you're on the road working in the neighborhoods, you do a crime, more likely you're going to go to jail. On college, you had to be a little bit more lenient. Like, okay, you might get them kicked out of school. They might actually get a, a record, then they might not be able to go back to college. So it, it's a little bit more, not on the political side, but they wanted you to be a little bit more lax on uh, then my current sheriff, he became the chief of the school system that uh, I reside in, which is like K-12. So he hired me there, and I started working in the school system. Like I'll tell people, I'd rather work with college kids than I'd rather work with high school and middle school kids. Middle school kids are the absolute worst. They're going through emotions. They just, just I just want that type of person. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. Leave that for your parents. Do what you got to do. But yeah, it was a learning experience. Like, be a little bit more gentle to them because they're kids. You got to let them know, hey. I'm the authority figure. It's always that two, three percent that was disrupt the whole classroom. And then you have others trying to follow them. So you have to deal with all that. And then you deal with the bad kids. And then the parents come up and you kind of understand like where their home life is not good, why they act out. It's just a whole different ball game. I have this kid that comes to school every day that's angry, trying to fight people, but they go home, they don't have any power. They're out there trying to work, provide for their little brothers and sisters. You got to handle what care because it's a lot more than what you think and what you deal with at school. So you got to remember that. And then after I left there, my sheriff, uh, he was the chief then, became sheriff of the county that he works for now. So he hired me on there, started on road patrol, went to a specialized division called crime suppression. Uh, I wanted to give him a SWAT team. So I had to lose weight to get on that. Uh, took me about a year and a half to get on it. I had to run long distance. And I said, I don't like running long distance. I get to run like a mile in nine minutes. I never like running long distance. Like at the 400 meters, wherever's after that is after that. But I eventually got on the SWAT team. Eventually, my sheriff told me, like, hey, you got your bachelor's and master's degree, why don't you go ahead and try to get promotion? I was enjoying crime suppression, but that's what my bread and butter was, finding drugs, putting people in jail. But I became a sergeant night shift. Uh, I had a very good shift. I enjoyed the offices. I was on it. We had a family experience up there. And then recently in October last year, I became the sergeant of narcotics, and that's where I'm at right now. What have you found the most enjoyable, or have you enjoyed them all? Uh, 
I'm not gonna say I enjoyed them all. That'd be a lie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it to a extent, like seeing them graduate and seeing them be successful. That was a good part of. It. But the other part, dealing with when they have attitudes and all that, it just was for me. But uh, working my first job and my first partner, and that was one of the best jobs I had. We worked in housing together, and I say every day we spent together. We just rode different places, doing what we had to do, solve crimes, put people in jail, do community events. We did that. But then I worked in crime suppression. I would say that'll probably be my next favorite. We just had fun. A group of eight or nine officers. We were a specialized vision, so we saturated problem areas. And if something was going wrong, we'd have burglars in the area. They put us there. If you have drug problems in the area, they put us there. And basically, we were just a high maintenance team. Like we all had type A personalities. We're all hard chargers. We're all competitive. So I mean, that's just how it was. And I'm currently enjoying the new role I'm in because it's different. Uh, it's a little bit more. It's not laid back, but it's a lot more investigative work towards it like you got to be a little bit more secretive and incognito so people don't understand what you're doing they won't see and pick up on what you got going on so i mean i enjoyed it all but uh school system thing wasn't for me that's college or high school and i'll do it but it just wasn't my it wasn't my bread but i put it like that it's for somebody but not for eric when you have to go out on a scene to investigate or to respond are you nervous no Really, like, I'm just going out to do my job. If they call me out to a drug scene, to a shooting, anything, like say, I'm going to go in there, try to get all the information I can, go ahead and solve this crime as fast as I can, because the people that was involved in the victims, they want to go ahead and get whatever ordeal that's going on handled. Sometimes these things take years to go through. You might arrest somebody now, but you might not go to court two years. They might not get sentenced for a while. It takes a while, but you want to get people that peace of mind that you're out there working for them. So when you come on scene, you can go ahead and get talk to people that want to talk to you, give you information. Because most of the time, you're not going to solve most major crimes unless you have people in the community that's going to help you out. Go out there, get my information, do the work I need to do, and try to handle the situation as best as I can. So even on the active situations where it's actually happening right then, and you don't know what to expect, you, you don't get nervous about that? I've never been involved in like an active shooting. And then we get called to a car chase, or like we might have a burglary or a, sus- a suspect that's barricaded in the house. Uh, for me, that gets my, my blood flowing. We better get smashed. We about to have to do some work. We want to get there and do what you got to do and go ahead and, you know, stop the crime from, not from occurring, but from going any further than what it was. Because a lot of times, once people start seeing police officers, they're going to have two responses. They're either going to go ahead and stop what they're doing or they're going to go ahead and try to flee or fight and say, you got to get prepared for that. I'm not saying I'm just looking for a fight, but, you know, I ain't going to turn away from it. I can say I'm going to go ahead and get you in custody so you don't hurt nobody else or throw anything else stupid to hurt somebody. So. Not really. Have you ever been hurt or been with someone who was seriously hurt or someone that you know in the police force that was killed in the line of duty? I've never been with anybody that's been killed. When I do, I like I'm knowing officers that have been killed. Uh, we had one up there in the county that I live in. He was an narcotics officer. He got killed about two years ago. But like being right there when an officer's been killed, I never had that type of incident occur when I'm around. As far as officers being hurt, like severely hurt, Every now and then we might sprain the ankle or, you know, try to jump a fence and get hooked up, something like that. But hurt my arm one time, uh, and it wasn't even that bad. Like I said, I got my hand stuck in a glass window uh, trying to take a guy into custody, and it got cut up a little bit. But even now I had like to get like 15, 60 stitches, but it wasn't even that severe. So I haven't been in those type of severe incidents on the job, really. Do you think that your job has become more dangerous in the past few years? I would put it on like the growing tension between law enforcement and uh, the community. And it's not everybody. Like it creates 
a little bit more of a danger when you're dealing with people because you just never know how people are. Like people are a little bit more argumentative. They don't want to just do what officers say. And I say, I understand you got to ask questions. You got to understand what's going on. You want to know why, but that's all about building rapport. But then, you know, some people just want to give you a hard time because you're law enforcement you can create that that hard issue or basically like that hard time that they're trying to give you, it can create an elevated level of awareness for officers that, you know, something might go on. Like you could be sitting there talking to a group of people and most of them might be complying with you, but you might have that one that's going, might try to sneak up behind you and hit you, something like that. And you just never know. I mean, it's just that element of surprise right now. It's just that small group pushing his agenda out. Like law enforcement out here, they're bad. They're trying to hurt people. And it's creating that tension and it's making some people feel like, hey, we're not out there to help them. We're out there trying to harm them. And you just never know how people are feeling, what they're willing to do to a law enforcement officer. How has that happened? Do you have any idea for yourself why it has escalated to be that? Uh, it's a couple of incidents that's happened across the country that have become polarized. People clue to what they see on TV and they feel like all officers are doing that one thing. Most of the time, that's like one or two incidents out of 100,000 that occur every day. I mean, yeah, it's bad, and I understand, like, those officers need to be fully punished for the offenses that they, that happened or that they did, but you can't blame everybody. We have officers out here that are saving babies, getting people out burning cars. A lot of stuff is not put in the public. They put the other stuff in the public, like, oh, maybe an officer might kick somebody in handcuffs, which is bad, which they need to be punished for, but they also put the good part of it that when we're out here doing community events, trying to help people out, just build that rapport and lessen that tension, but I just blame it mostly on the media because they're just trying to create that divide. A lot of times, you know, at the end of the day, they have a job to do. They know that fear sales and different events like that are going to sell, so they got to do what they got to do to keep their job. But if they did a better job of just promoting the positivity that also does too, it might help out. But just a couple of events that happened over the past few years where uh, officers have acted out, out of control or they haven't upheld the badge and it's tarnished it. And that's what everybody remembers. And they think that all officers are that same way or they all have that in them. That's what happened, in my opinion. You are married and you have five children. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Do they get nervous when you go out? Has their tensions risen over the last couple of years? Uh, not really. I mean, they ask questions about different incidents. Basically, like what I would have done in those different incidents if it happened to me or how would you have handled that better and all that. They understand my job. They understand that I love my job. My my youngest kids, they want to become officers too, but they understand the job I do and understand the reason why I do it, even the older ones. I mean, they might have questions about what's going on or why things were handled they were, and, you know, you got to explain to them that some officers just, just don't need to have the gun and badge, but for the most part, you're not going to even deal with officers like that. Yeah, you might encounter them. You have the one or two bad apples, but for the most part, they're upsetting the citizens and they're going to teach you with dignity and respect. Have you experienced racism within the police community? Me, no, I haven't. I'm pretty sure it goes on. It happens all over. I mean, it, it's just part of human nature. It's just how some people were brought up that way. And some people, like I tell people, some people have never been around different races, different ethnicities or races. And when they're around them, they don't understand the culture. And that's a lot of times where the problem comes in. If you've been living in one side of a state or you've been living in California, New York, and you come down south, things are totally different. And you're trying to become a law enforcement officer. And the way, I'm not saying the way they talk to people is different or bad up in New York, but you come down south trying to talk to people the way you do up in New York, it's going to sound different to people. They're a much faster paced type of people up there. And they're going to say, hey, Nico, hey, move, get out of my way. I got things I got to do. Down here, that's not going to fly. You know, it's just different. And I would say it just takes 
all law enforcement in the community learned from different uh, communities, different ethnicities, different races and cultures, just so they can understand how people function. We don't all act the same. And sometimes we want people to act the way we do. And that's just not how it is. You just gotta understand there's this difference in people. You might be outside being loud. You might think it's a problem going on, but they just might be outside enjoying themselves. And so you gotta be able to go over there and talk to them and build that rapport with them. Like, okay, well, maybe I didn't understand that. Well, they called us over here to say that you're not allowed to just keep it down for us. So come on, you need to go ahead and turn that music off or we're gonna lock you up. It's, it's just all about how you build that rapport with people. Do you think it takes a certain personality to be a police officer? Because for me, just thinking what you do going into these situations where you don't know what you're going to find, that would be way too nerve wracking for me. I, the anxiety for me would be unreal. Does it take a different personality to do that? I say you have to not be a person that's, you have to not be scared, but you have, I mean, I always tell people you want to be in law enforcement or you, or you don't. I can't just be uh, occupation for you. You're going to deal with some things that's going to really piss you off. People that's really going to piss you off and you got to be able to handle that and do your job without being biased towards them. We have a guy here who does like child crimes. I mean, I could do it if I had to, but that's something I would never want to do. Dealing with stuff like that makes you angry at just seeing people. What are you doing? Why would you do that? But it's something that people do nowadays and you got to handle that case right because if you mess it up, that person can be free again and you got to do it. So you got to have a special special type of attitude to deal with it. Things you see and deal with, it's going to bring you to that point where you just want to go ahead and just like punch a person. That's just crazy for you to do that. But you can't do that. You got to have a case of care. But you also understand that if you do it correctly on the back end, when they go to jail or they go to prison, you successfully did what you need to do. So, I mean, certain things, you know, I just can't do. Like, I, I've never been a real big fan of doing DUIs. I understand it's a good thing, but it's just not my cup of tea. I don't like sitting on the side of the road trying to get people to walk straight line. And that's why I tell people about law enforcement. You have so many different aspects of it. I've never been a DUI type of person. I never wanted to do like sex crimes. I, I just, something I never wanted to do. I've always been like a drug, gangs, violent crimes type person. I mean, I never wanted to do financial crimes, but trying to track down somebody who stole your bank card and used it in China. I mean, you're going to be there all day typing on the computer. I mean, you just got to have that different. Thing, but that's the thing about law enforcement. You got a little bit of something for everybody. So it just all depends on what you want to do. So, I mean, I feel like everybody can be in law enforcement, but everybody can't be, I uh, say, on the road patrol. Road patrol, they deal with everything. They're the first people that respond to every single incident that occurs. So they're going to deal with people's attitudes. They're going to be at the forefront. So that part of law enforcement, I'm going to say, you might take a special person be there. Man, you're dealing with a crowd of 50 people that's angry, trying to fight this other crowd. They don't care about you. You got to learn how to get between them, break them up, talk to them where they don't feel disrespected, but also they know that you're not there to play, and everybody can't do that. Some people, you know, you tell them you do something once, and then after that, you're like, hey, I told you once, you better go to jail. So, I mean, it's a lot of things that go into law enforcement, a lot of different sectors of it, so it just all depends on the sector you're trying to be in. You deal then, you said, with violent people, gangs, things like that, narcotics. Have mm -hmm. you been threatened before? I'm sure you have. I mean, you, you're going to get threatened all the time on the road. I mean, it's, a lot of times people are upset. Uh, their emotions are high, and they're going to be like, hey, man, I don't, you know, I'll whip you. So most of the time, you don't pay that stuff no mind. People are going to threaten you all the time. But every now and then, you'll have that one person that's going to keep pushing, like, hey, I know you're, they're just mad at this incident that's going on there. They're not really meaning that. But it's still the point that, hey, man, you got to watch what you're saying. I never had people, like, just, you know, just make verbal threats. You might arrest somebody and be like, hey, man, wait till I get out. I'm going to come see you and pick these handcuffs off. That's part of it. But as far as someone making, you know, like a serious threat that I would take to that level that something needs to happen, I just never encountered it. 
Have you ever, I'm sure you have about this too, dealt with repeat offenders where you get really frustrated because they just keep going through the system? Yeah, I mean, it happens. So you'll have some people you'll lock up on the weekend. They'll be back out by Monday. But a lot of times, those are the ones that eventually the judge will get tired of them and they'll send us for a long time. But you have some people, man, you look at the criminal history, you'll be like, how are you even free? They have all these different type of crimes on their uh, rap sheet. But, you know, it's the court system and the prison system is very complex. You have plea deals going on. You have people that's going, you know, working off the charges, like they might snitch on this person, you know, reduce their time. Everybody that does a serious crime, yeah, you want to put them in prison, but it's just not enough prison space. And like I tell people, the prison is just another whole animal itself. Like you, people will be surprised at the things that goes on inside of prison. Prisons is just like its own community. Like you're going to have drugs in prisons. You're going to have, you know, relationships. You're going to have money. You're going to have all kinds of things going on inside of prison. Guards getting brought off. Murders, all that going on inside of prison. So it has to balance itself out. You can't send everybody to jail. Like, yeah, you want to send them to jail for a little bit and all that stuff. You want them to go to prison for some of the crimes they did, but you got to know that, well, hey, yeah, this person might have caused a wreck that hurts mine severely, but you got this person over here that most of the child, which one would you rather go to prison for a longer time or want that bed in prison so they can stay there? You got to balance that out. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's the best system, but it, it, it works. You might see somebody that might shot at somebody get out in less than two or three years. I got to tell people, I say, man, they're going to mess up again. Just catch them again and go back over. I mean, it can become frustrating, but you can't let it get to you. Just do your job and let the prosecutors, the judges, the prison system, and then if they get out and they commit a crime again, do what you got to do. Are there things maybe that you wish the general public understood about our police force that maybe we don't? Uh, Just... To understand that a lot of times, like officers just don't come up to incidents just to start stuff. Most of the time we're called to a place, like say there are people out, like I said, hanging out, you know, being loud, drinking, all that stuff. Sometimes, you know, like proactive officers who will come out there and talk to people like, hey man, you know, move. But then most of the time people are calling us, like, hey, we're trying to go to sleep. These people are out here being loud, something needs to be done about it. It's not like we're just coming out here to harass you or tell you you need to keep moving. It's someone that's called about it. A lot of times they don't understand that it's like, hey man, you're just out here harassing us. Leave us alone, trying to have fun. We're not harming anybody. When in fact they are, and a lot of these people want to be anonymous and they don't want people to know what's going on. So I just wish people understood that a lot of times, you know, officers is out there just trying to keep the peace between two different sides. You don't want to have a group out there and then the person eventually gets tired and start, you know, shooting a gun off at them to get them away. And you don't want that type of incident to happen. So you're rather go ahead and curb it before it happens. So if people could just understand that, you know, we're out there just trying to maintain law and order to keep things from escalating, that's the only reason why we're out there just keep crimes from occurring and they'll understand a little bit more that officers really are just there just to uphold the peace and to take crimson jail. Like we're not there to harass you. You might get a proactive unit that, you know, they're a little bit more uh, aggressive. It's the type of work they're doing now. Like they're not going to go out there and just pull you out of the car for no reason. Like time we're going to have reasonable articulable suspicion. We're going to have probable cause to do what we're doing. Most time, if you should stay calm with the officer and let them handle what they need to do, they're going to explain to you what's going on. There's nothing's going on. They give your stuff back and let you go on by its way. But, you know, some people feel like, hey, time you talk to an officer, they just out harassing me. Like, you might have been speeding, but they'll be like, okay, I might have been speeding, but this person's doing 100, and you forgot about them, but you got me. So it's just some people just are naturally aggressive towards law enforcement, and I just wish they understand that most of the time, 98% of the time, that law enforcement is out there trying to do their job, do what they got to do, and make it back home at night. Are there too many guns? I'm a gun person. I say you can never, you can never have too many guns. Uh, now, in criminal hands, yes, 
But people that have the rights to have guns, I believe everyone should have a gun. Because you just never know. You might just be walking in the mall one day and somebody might punch you upside the head. So I believe everyone that can legally have a gun, they need to have a gun. And I don't think you can ever have too many guns. Some people use them just for protection. Because, you know, I'm a hunter. So you got people that hunt, people that do competitions, like shooting guns. So I believe you can never have too many guns. Just make sure you're in the right hands, if that makes sense. Now, my husband follows you on LinkedIn, and you have a pretty big following there. How did that start? Why has it grown? And what is your mission on LinkedIn? I really don't know, man. Uh, I enjoy laughing. Most people I've been around, like, all we do is talk trash to each other, and they share memes <laughs> all day. So I see him, I'm like, okay, this is funny. Maybe somebody else wants to look at this. Eventually, people just start adding themselves to my page. A lot of times, they follow me for the law enforcement side of it. I always post about you know, the officers that I do here that have passed in line of duty, just to show people that, you know, we're human and we're going through things. And then spreading positive. Like I said, I've always been around people that have been positive uh, role models. My sheriff's always been one, my friend Prescott, my cousin, my uncle. And they always, you know, had these powerful quotes stuck with me. So I figured if they stuck with me, maybe they'll help somebody else. I'm always about sharing. But uh, as far as my LinkedIn community, I always wanted to uh, just share the positivity, keep people laughing, I know. Laughter will cure a lot of things. Some people are just so uptight, and sometimes a chuckle might help them, you know, break that ice or whatever. I'm in the midst of trying to become either a state or federal special agent. I know LinkedIn is real good at helping business people or people in the same, you know, fields connect and network together and then be able to help me, you know, maybe accomplish my mission of becoming a special state agent. So it's, it's a lot of reasons, but like I said, I do enjoy sharing things on my LinkedIn so I can make people laugh or help them out when they're having a bad day or so they can share it with somebody else that you know are you elsewhere on social media or mostly focused on uh, LinkedIn? I'm on Facebook, but uh, mostly just my family members and people I work with. But LinkedIn is basically the uh, only uh, social media side I'm on. I'm curious. We are really divided right now as a nation, unfortunately. And you're out there in the public a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas on how you think that we can come together more and not be so contentious with one another? Uh, one thing I'll say, turn off the TV. Uh, that media is driving uh, that divide bigger and bigger every day. I mean, you know, right now they're real big on the Afghanistan situation that's going on. And then you have the, the COVID thing, like people getting vaccinated, people not getting vaccinated. And people are just arguing constantly about both of those things. And it's just making divides bigger. And then you have things about the politics, about President Joe Biden and, you know, President Trump when he was in office. It, and it's all that's just the media just putting out more stuff to divide us and make us bigger. Most of the time, you're going to hear it, you're going to see it on TV, but you just got to turn that stuff off. You can't let the stuff that's, you know, being broadcasted to you affect you like that. Like, even with the COVID situation, you know, yeah, I got vaccinated, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you got to get vaccinated. I mean, that's you, you're right. You, you, you can do what you want to do. I just tell people just to be safe in their own way. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But, you know, if you don't, so I say six feet away, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, make you do something that you don't want to do. And that's the same thing about politics. Yeah, you might not agree who won the president or you might agree who won the president. But in the day, you're the president of the United States. You got to give them that due respect. Just keep your opinions. Except, but that's one thing I learned. Definitely about social media now, right now. People, they'll see something they don't like and they have to comment. They have to comment on it. They can't just let it go. They can't be like, okay, well, I don't like that and just keep scrolling. Oh, they got to put their point out there and let you know why they don't like what you just posted. Not like I tell people with me, like, I'm not going to argue with you. I said that if anything, I'll just block you. If I say I, I will not go back and forth on social media about my point. That's why I tell people, I said, this, you're not trying to change anybody's opinion. That's their opinion. They're going to feel the way they want to feel. 
you putting what you feel on their opinion and telling them that they're wrong, it's not gonna change anything. All that's gonna do is make them do. It's not like you. It's gonna block you. So that's why I tell people that. I'm not gonna sit there and argue with you. You put on there what you want to put on there. Hey, if you like it, that's fine. Like it, tell me, hey, good job. If you don't, just keep scrolling. But people cannot keep scrolling. And they're gonna tell you, well, that's just wrong. You're wrong. You need to go do this and that. And that just it just goes down here from there. I'm sure millions of viewpoints have been changed over Instagram and Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, these people I'm like, well, I'm gonna tell you why you need to get vaccinated, and they just feel like that's what happened. Like I and like I tell people, that's even with us, people are gonna feel and do what they wanna do. No matter how hard until you try, especially on that point, that's just how it is. You might state your opinion and don't try to influence anybody like that. Either they're gonna pick up the message or they're not. For those that pick it up, good. For those that don't, just keep moving. Eric, you have had a health journey, right? Yes. Was that specifically for being on the SWAT team or is that something you wanted to do before? I've always been in shape. The job of workout, one thing about, you know, definitely if you work in a good community, they like to feed you. So you come into work, they have <laughs> you know, donuts here, they have biscuits over here. You go out and they be like, hey, let me pay for your lunch and all that stuff. I started off when I was like 20 and I was like 205. By that first year and a half, I got up to about 270. Like, oh so my just, gosh, are you kidding me? We had a place down here called Pale Brothers, and they focus on country cooking. So, like, you're going to have biscuits, macaroni, cheese, and greens, like, almost every day. <laughs> so, it's kind of out of control. But then, I've always worked out with it. Like, I always love weights. But as I started getting more into my law enforcement career, I understood that, hey, while I was still kind of athletic, I mean, people out here, you know, you got to chase them and all that. So, I knew I had to lose weight. So eventually I got on the crime suppression team and I wanted to get on squats. So I knew I had to lose a little bit of weight. So that's why I did keto. And uh, if anybody knows me, knows I love a biscuit. I love a carb. So it's hard for me to pass that up. But I've learned that's the best way for me to lose weight. Yeah, I lost the weight to get on the squat team. But I gained about 20 pounds back since then, which is about two years. So right now I'm in the process of trying to go federal. And there are fitness tests I could do the push-ups and sit-ups, but they have a, a mile and a half run. And get to run in like 12 minutes and 30 seconds or less. And as a big boy, that's trucking. That's like two minutes a lap. And I can barely do two minutes a lap, just one lap. And that's, it, it takes time, but I always know that if I lose weight, get my weight under control, if I can get down about maybe 230, 220, I'll be all right. Less health problems, you less likely to have diabetes, high blood pressure, you have less weight on you. So you just got to watch the way you eat. The guys I work with, you know, they can eat whatever they want. They can eat donuts for 20 days and they won't gain a pound. I look at a biscuit, I'm going to gain two pounds. So it's just, <laughs> it's just how it is. So It's not fair, is it? It's it really not. These guys can eat like horses, be able to eat the salad, and I'll still gain weight. And it just, you know, it makes you cry. But at the end of the day, you just got to take what's tried. Is it true then? Do police like donuts? Uh, I'm not exactly sure where you're from, but we have a place called Krispy Kreme Donuts. They yes. Have the hot donut sign. I've seen people break over that. That's probably like, I could eat about six in like <laughs> two minutes. If they're hot, I can, I can clear them out. But at the end of the day, I'm not really a sweet person. It's like, I, I love like real food. Like, if you're going to, you know, like my mother and my wife's gonna cook like macaroni and cheese or biscuits, something like that, or rice. I'm gonna be all over it. That's why I tell people when I eat, I eat. It's not gonna be like just one plate. Eric's gonna eat, and it, <laughs> it can get bad pretty quick. And then I'll be sitting there full, looking all crazy. So it's all about portion control. So I try to do a little bit better with that, but it's it's kind of hard. We're all a work in progress. My husband likes having second dinner at about ten o'clock at night. I tell him he shouldn't do that. Man, you got to do what you got to do, man. I say that's one thing. Like I say between keto and intermittent fast, I'm doing a little bit better. Uh, I could do a lot better if I watched the way I eat, but it's just work in progress. Tell me about this being proactive instead of reactive. 
uh, being proactive is basically, you know, stopping an incident before it might occur instead of waiting for a crime to occur and then trying to handle it then. Basically, like I say, if you know a burglaries are happening in this community, you just sit around for the report to come in. Like, hey, we have one or two burglars here. We're going to put this, say us, put the crime suppression team in there, come out there late night when the crimes are happening, you know, turn our lights off or we might be on foot patrol and we want to be proactive. We want to sit there and catch people before they, it occurs. We want to get out with people. Hey, what you doing? Why you get these tools in your back? We want to stop crimes from occurring. And a lot of things that I believe more law enforcement officers and departments need to go to have a high crime rate. If you start putting an aggressive unit out there that's proactive, a lot of times when they see that unit come on, that's going to deter them from coming out or doing the crime. They'll wait till they leave. That's one thing about crime suppression team when I worked on it. People knew our schedule. They were like, okay, they're working. Time to go inside. We'll wait. At least for that time period, you know that crimes are less likely to happen. So that's why I always say that it's always better to be proactive to crimes than reactive. Because like sometimes, yeah, you're going to have to be reactive like a murder case. You won't have a murder until it happens. I mean, that's just how it is. But if you can prevent that murder from happening, you know, go ahead, stop in a car that has the gun on it, and everybody go to a drive-by shooting. You'd rather have that any day of the week than having that murder on your hands. So that's why I tell law enforcement officers and uh, different law enforcement you know, departments that being proactive is always better. Talk to a guy named, uh, he has a, a business called Street Cop Training named Dennis Benito. He's real big on teaching, being proactive police officers. He's built this company from the ground up, and he just basically teach officers how to be proactive, but how to do it within the law, how to, you know, so when you go to court, you won't, you know, get your case lost, or you might get it dropped in that. He teaches all that. So being proactive is just a very big part of law enforcement, and that I believe in, that you had to have those type of units, especially when you have a high crime rate. A lot of times when you had those type of officers that are out there, People gonna know them. They're gonna be like, hey, we don't need to be out here right now. They're working. Yeah, they might wait or they might not. We just need to go to a different county or something like that. And then you're trying to eliminate those crime with that criminal element that's occurring in that area. Well, that model works for every part of your life too, though, doesn't it? Proactive yeah. instead of reactive. Do we need more police or fewer police? We, we always need more police officers. Crime is just spiking all over. Uh, yeah, certain areas, law enforcement's going after a lot of officers are retiring. They just don't want to deal with what's going on, how people are chastising law enforcement, feel like you can't do nothing right, seeing like your brothers and sisters dying in line, do it, and you know, they got family, they don't want to deal with that. So a lot of people are leaving law enforcement, they're not being replaced. You're not getting those big classes of law enforcement candidates that want to become police officers. So right now, we're not at the numbers we need to be. I know certain, almost every agency I know is hiring officers right now. They're just trying to get people in on shifts so they can have bodies so they can do the job they do. So we need more officers. I really don't think you can never have too many of them. I rather you have so many officers that they don't have anything to do and not have enough officers and you only got three and they're trying to handle 50 calls at night. So I rather have more so you don't have work for them to do than have too many or too less and they can't keep up with the work. Is there anything that you can think of that you want to share that we haven't talked about already? just to get people to like to cheer up it's been a hard couple of years just for a lot of people i mean just between covid and different incidents that's occurring on and you just got to turn on that television enjoy your family uh do the different things travel go on vacations for you when you can COVID stuff going on but just protect yourself but just try something different and stop relying on that media to give you all the information you need research it for yourself figure out what's going on that media can drain you if you let it man if you stay in front of that tv all day because all they Put out just drowsy information that just makes you think like the world's going to end tomorrow. Climate control, COVID, you know, shootings, murders, 
people getting kidnapped and stuff like that. So stuff like that, you know, it just really brings you down. So just try to find something, you know, find a good movie that makes you laugh, find a picture or something, do something different, go play with your kids, just get out there and get away from that TV and that media that's trying to bring you down, creating that doom and gloom with everybody. People just aren't, you know, cheerful and chipper like they need to be. My husband tells me that all the time. I'll get on my uh, phone. I'll, Did you see this? Did you see this? I'd be like, will you please get off of that? All it's doing is making you upset. What does America mean to you? Uh, it means just the best country in the world. Like I said, man, like a lot of people might not think that, but you know, certain instances they feel like, oh, this wouldn't happen everywhere else, but you're just not going to get a better country than America, man. We enjoy some of the best things in the world. Uh, and most of us, we really don't have too many problems in the world. You know, we're able to get a job. We're able to go out and find food. We don't have food storages like that. We're not having these big plagues and, you know, just constant worries over dictatorship, you know, coming over here and basically like what you got in Afghanistan. So America is a beautiful place, but people are trying to find fault in everything. And I just want people to understand that how good it is here. Like I said, you might go to another country and be anywhere else in the world, but you're here and you enjoy some of the best opportunities in the world. And I just wish people understood that. And like, yeah, we, I mean, any place is going to have its problems, but we have it better than almost everybody in the world. And I just wish people understood that and appreciate that. Well, thank you, Eric, for spending this hour with me. And thank you for sharing your American story. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to Eric's episode. Do yourself a favor. Take a break from all the negative hype on social media. Head on over to LinkedIn and follow Eric McCants for an uplifting boost. I believe people need to hear the American stories I share on this podcast, and I know you do as well. You can help more people hear the We the People, Our American Story podcast by subscribing, following, leaving a rating and review. Let family and friends know about the American heroes you listen to every week. Our country needs these stories. Next week, my guest is Marine veteran Matias Ferreria. Matias lost both his legs fighting the war on terror and became the first below-knee double amputee police officer. Until Friday, see you then.